0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show we're going to talk a little about two nutrients that are super important to every single crop, it's manganese and magnesium. The reason why we're talking about these two on the same day is they often get confused because they do sound somewhat similar, manganese and magnesium, so we'll discuss those nutrients on the show today. If you've got any questions for us about manganese or magnesium or anything else that's going on in your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. All right. So manganese versus magnesium. Magnesium, or M-G is the symbol. That is what's considered a secondary nutrient. So that's in the same group as calcium and sulfur. You need quite a few pounds for every crop. So I'll just give you a quick example here. I'm just pulling up the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app on my smartphone. And I'm going to punch in corn. And let's say we're going for 250 bushel corn, for example. Magnesium in total, your crop, and uh, let's put it this way, take a guess... Just think in your head, how many pounds of magnesium does a 250 bushel corn crop need? I mean, to produce the whole crop. I'm not saying what leaves with the grain or anything else. I'm saying in total, 250 bushel corn, how many pounds do you think it takes for magnesium? Well, it's actually more than sulfur, more than calcium. In fact, it's almost as much as sulfur and calcium combined. It's 60 pounds. 60 pounds to the acre of magnesium. Think about that. It's about half what we need for phosphate. So when you think about, well, I fertilize every year with phosphorus, well, what are we doing with magnesium out there? And granted, in many soils, we have so much magnesium, literally thousands of pounds in some cases, That you don't need to fertilize with it, so we'll talk about that a little bit today. Then you go down to manganese, that's a micronutrient. Okay, that's we kind of group that in with copper, zinc, boron, iron, these other micronutrients. In total, for 250 bushel corn, how much do you think it takes for manganese? Well, we need a grand total of two pounds. So there's your big difference, just to start the show off: magnesium, 60 pounds per acre, and manganese two. So, right away when you hear that, you think, well, boy, I better learn a lot more about magnesium because my crop needs 30 times as much magnesium as it does manganese. Well, yeah, it's important to learn about magnesium, but it's just as important to learn about manganese because we do see a fair amount of manganese shortages. Let me just tell you a few things about manganese. Manganese is actually called the element of life. It's important for chlorophyll production, lignin building, basically that's your stock, uh, disease prevention, pollen, and kernel weight. Um, manganese is not very available when the soil is cold, but I guess I could say the same thing with magnesium. So both manganese and magnesium not super available when the soil is cold, which is why quite often with both of these elements, people will supplement a little bit. Okay, back to manganese, the micronutrient. It's less available the higher the ph gets. So if you look at most charts on nutrient availability, it's going to vary a little bit, but as the ph goes up, there's a there's a drop off to some degree. Well, with manganese, it really drops off. So what I'm saying here is if let's say you have an adequate level of manganese that micronutrient in the soil, you say, "Oh, it should be fine." But you got an 8 ph in one field and you have a 6 ph in the field right next to it. If they both had the same exact amount of manganese in that soil, you're going to see a lot getting into the plant when the pH is 6. You're not going to see as much getting into that plant when the pH is 8. Okay, So soil pH makes an absolute difference. All right, One of the things that I would say too with manganese that we have seen is sclerotinia white mold. We're seeing less white mold when we have good levels of manganese in the soil. The first time we saw this was, I don't know, it's probably six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. And we had a farmer who went to one of our soils clinics, looked at his soil test, and he goes, ooh, I'm really short on manganese. You know what? I don't know if this is right or not. So I'm just going to try this out. I'm going to put a good level of manganese on half my field, and I'll leave the other half, and we'll see what difference there is. Well, on the half where he put the manganese, he had no white mold or virtually no white mold. And on the other half, it was loaded with sclerotinia white mold in his soybeans. Well, come to find out, and we didn't even know this, but there has been some research done showing that if you have good levels of manganese in your plant, it's much more tolerant to diseases like sclerotinia white mold. So that's a big thing. All right. So anyway, manganese, super important micronutrient. Magnesium is a secondary nutrient. And we often talk about a a test called the base saturation test. So some people will talk about the ratio of calcium to magnesium, okay? And you can look at that, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's not important, but what I am saying is with the base saturation test, we look at the ratio of calcium and magnesium, but also together with hydrogen, with potassium, and with sodium. I want to see the ratio of one nutrient to each of the other four. But anyway, I'll just give you something quick here to start the show with calcium and magnesium. So calcium is a really big, it's got a really big particle size. Magnesium, really, really small. And if you have very high magnesium levels in your soil, air cannot get down through there very well. Your soil is going to be tight. It's usually poorly drained. It's, It's much more prone to compaction problems. So we will say this. You can loosen a tight soil with calcium. You can tighten a sandy soil with magnesium. So if you've got really heavy ground, let's say your, cal, your cation exchange capacity is above 20. So we're talking heavy ground. Usually we like seeing magnesium in the base saturation test down around 12% or thereabouts. On the other hand, if let's say your cation exchange capacity is less than 10, so you've got sandy ground, well, then, quite frankly, we'd like that magnesium level closer to 20% on the base saturation test to try to tighten that soil up, help it hold more moisture. That can be a really good thing. I'll, I'll also add one last thing before we take our first break here. Excess magnesium raises soil pH 1.6 to 1 compared to calcium. So very often in high pH soils, excess magnesium could be what's pushing it high. We'll talk more about these two important nutrients right after this. Get durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems.
1: Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique, self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating crack seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at Pentair.com Hypro.
3: There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com slash howler. Did you know,
1: 20% of stored corn is often overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi load. Stop this problem for less with the End Zone for Corn from Farm Shop MFG. Specially priced at $1,800 per unit while supplies last.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. Live in the Morton studio, today on the show we're talking about two important nutrients for your crop, manganese and magnesium. Well, first on the show we've got Jim Camboretto with us. He's with Purdue. Hey, Jim, how are you today?
4: Hey, Good afternoon, Brian. I'm I'm doing well. All
0: right. I assume that most people are talking to you when it comes to fertility about N, P, and K, but today we want to talk just a little about manganese and magnesium. So let me just start you with this. What kind of questions do you get from farmers or agronomists about either manganese or magnesium?
4: Well, um, manganese deficiency in soybean is not uncommon in the northern part of Indiana. So I I get lots of questions about uh, how to correct manganese deficiency in, in soybeans.
0: Okay, so with manganese, There were people – oh, this is going back 10, 15 years ago – saying Roundup tied up manganese levels – but we never found that necessarily to be true because we put on ridiculous amounts of Roundup just in, in testing and didn't find any difference in the amount of manganese getting into the crop. What we found instead, we, we started doing plant tissue analysis and soil testing throughout our region as research, and we just found that a lot of soils are really low on manganese. Is it, what do you think the problem is out there? Is it just our soils are super low? Is the manganese getting tied up? What's going on?
4: Well, yeah, research here at Purdue found the same thing, that uh, Roundup really didn't have any influence on manganese availability. And, and we've had these deficiencies for quite a while in certain soils that have high pH, low manganese, and usually pretty high levels of organic matter. And those soils are just... Uh, prone to having manganese deficiency.
0: Do you think the organic matter has anything to do with it? I mean, I totally understand the high pH. We absolutely see that correlation, and certainly if the soil tests low in manganese, it would make sense. It's not going to have a lot getting into the plant. But you mentioned the high organic matter. Is there any connection there?
4: Yeah, I think the the organic matter can complex the manganese, and in the case of those soils make it less available to the plant. And so particularly in the mucks and peats, uh, if the pH gets up a little, we see tremendous problems with manganese deficiency.
0: Okay. You said that you you see this commonly in soybeans as a problem. What's your best suggestion on how to solve the problem?
4: Right. So (laughs) soil applications are, are usually not especially broadcast applications are not yep. rarely effective. Um, times if you do a banding, and you know that's not that common in soybean, but if you band a little as a starter, you'll get an early season effect. But uh, usually, the soil applied manganese be- becomes unavailable pretty quickly, and so our standard suggestion is to use a foliar application. And as best one can, put it on as soon
0: as symptoms appear. So what timing would that be? Is that pre-flower? Is that after flowering? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes
4: it can be when the plants have two or, you know, a couple leaves. And and (laughs) that's where people or farmers are, you know, interested in the starter. uh, Because that will give more plant material that you can spray when the manganese deficiency returns Um, but yeah so uh, often it'll occur when soybeans are v2 v3 v4 really early and it will reoccur uh, throughout the season in some soils because the manganese that's applied foliarly uh, doesn't uh, translocate very well in the plant so it tends to stay in the tissues Well, it's applied on.
0: Yeah, as you're saying all this, Jim, I'm just thinking from my farmer putting my farmer cap on. You're telling me I may have to spray multiple times with the foliar manganese to solve the problem. Then, right?
4: Twice is more common than only once. Some (laughs) some farmers have told me they've sprayed three times uh, and still see symptoms later in the season. So it's a very difficult problem to overcome.
0: Now you mentioned this broadcast and you said it could be available soon. One of the biggest things when I look at any broadcast soil applied fertilizer I'm going to do, I say, all right, how many pounds is it going to take to solve my problem? Well, with manganese, I mean, we've had it where we're putting literally a hundred pounds of a manganese product on like manganese sulfate and it's really expensive. So my feeling was it wasn't that we were getting tie-up as much as I just didn't want to spend all that money to fix the soil. But what do you see in Indiana? Is there a certain nutrient that's tying up the manganese in the soil if guys do broadcast it?
4: Uh, well, there's actually bacteria that change the form of the manganese. And so when it's dry, uh, it's kind of it's the same as, like denitrification, nitrification of nitrate. Yep. And so they, they take that manganese and they, they oxidize it, uh, use it as a, an electron acceptor and, and, and render it into an unavailable precipitated form. And then um, when the soil gets wet again and, and oxygen is low, they'll reverse that reaction. But in those particular soils, apparently those microorganisms are prevalent and they just utilize that manganese. All right, this means uh, ma- it to an unavailable form.
0: Yep. Well, this manganese thing sounds pretty complicated. So let's switch gears <laughs> and talk about magnesium. Okay. What are the common magnesium issues you have in your state?
4: Uh, magnesium's a lot uh, deficiencies. A lot less common. Uh, we uh, see it in in sandy soils. Uh, sometimes on the pH is really low, um, and soil testing is pretty good at identifying when magnesium deficiencies are likely to occur.
0: And how do you suggest a farmer solves the problem of a magnesium deficiency?
4: Well, if the pH is also low, then dolomitic limestone is always the most economical. Yep. Uh, source of magnesium, and so they raise the pH with the, the dolomitic limestone. They'll be good until the next time the soil needs to be limed. Um, if the pH is adequate, uh, then uh, sul- sulpho mag or K mag uh, is uh, usually the next best way to provide magnesium. And then thirdly, if you get caught in a situation in season and K-Mag is not available, then uh, foliar, Epsom salts uh, can uh, reverse the deficiency or eliminate the deficiency.
0: Yeah, we had a researcher on from University of Wisconsin. I don't remember his last year or the year before, but he said he was getting some big gains in some of these magnesium deficient soils by... Basically, at side dress timing, and I don't remember if he said. I think it was Y drops. They were they were doing it, but anyway, he was Mm -hmm. putting on magnesium sulfate, the Epsom salts. So, Mm -hmm. do you see much of that that happens in your state? Because you mentioned that third.
4: Yeah, most people, if they're doing routine soil testing, they'll take care of it up front, which is the you know the most effective and economical way to do it. Um, And then foliar. Uh, Epsom salts might be the rescue treatment. I, I've not heard of anyone putting on liquid, uh ep, you know, dissolving Epsom salts in water and then putting it on uh with Y drop or sure. traditional equipment. But that would that would be effective. Yeah. Um, I would I would think so.
0: All right, we've been talking with Jim Camboretto. He is with Purdue, an Extension Soil Fertility Specialist. Jim, thanks a lot for the time today. This is really good stuff. It's always good learning a little more about some of these really important nutrients. Sure thing, Brian. Have a good afternoon. You bet. You too. All right, again, here on the show today, we are talking about manganese and Magnesium. But if there's anything else you would like to discuss, you can certainly give us a call here, 844 44 phd You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We are going to get to the AGPHD mailbag just a little bit later in the show where we answer your questions. So stay tuned. We'll get back to the phone lines and talk a little more manganese and magnesium right after this.
2: It takes balance to be successful in farming When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash
1: zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions it changes everything so says indiana corn grower nathan davis about innovative zyway lfr fungicide from fmc zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com always read and follow all label directions
0: Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're discussing manganese and magnesium, two important nutrients for the plant. Next on the show, we've got Alan Perry with us. He's a consultant out in Maine. Hey, Alan, how are things going for you today? Hey, pretty good. Great. All right. So out in your state of Maine, what kind of questions do you get about manganese and magnesium? You can start with either one. Doesn't matter to me.
6: Well, I think uh, magnesium uh, is more of an issue because of the volume that it takes to make some changes to the soil. Yep. Um, Very important to nitrogen usage. It's the center of the chlorophyll molecule, and uh, therefore, uh, if you're magnesium deficient, the plants are going to be a yellow color and you're not going to have good nitrogen usage.
0: How about... Excess magnesium. We have a fair amount of that here where I'm at, but in your state are the soils lighter and Are you more deficient in magnesium or do you have quite a few excesses as well?
6: No, we're mostly deficient here Uh, Our big excess would be phosphorus, but uh, other than that we're mostly deficient and that's that's nice It's easier to fix the deficiency as you know Uh, when you have an excess of magnesium it actually starves the plant and the plant will show magnesium deficiency symptoms, uh, but it's caused because uh, the plant's having a hard time to, to make up for the excess.
0: Now, Alan, I got to be honest, that's the first time I've ever heard anybody say, yeah, this nutrient is mainly deficient, which is nice, but (laughs) but I totally understand where you're going with it because we do deal with some excesses of magnesium and it is really hard. It takes years and years and years to get the magnesium levels down where we want. So in terms of these deficiencies you're dealing with, with magnesium, how are you usually correcting those? Well, we have a
6: couple of uh, easy ways. The cheapest, uh, easiest one for us would be dolomite lime, um, lime that has both calcium and magnesium in it. Uh, we like to do that if we have time, but we don't get any magnesium out of that lime the first 12 months. So sometimes we are uh, anxious to get some magnesium in the plant quicker than that. And our favorite choices there would either be um, sulfate, of potash, magnesia, SPM, or KMAG, uh, or Epsom salts works very nicely, especially as a foliar.
0: Uh, talk to us about the foliar application. How much are you putting on usually? When are you doing that? Um, I'm not using a lot
6: of volume at any one time with my foliars. I'm, I'd rather have two small applications than one big one. Uh, but usually one to two pounds of magnesium, uh, magnesium sulfate, Epsom salt per acre per time is enough to get the effect that I want. Um, but it depends a little bit on how big a uh, deficiency I'm working with, or even in this case, uh, it works very well for excesses uh, to kind of feed that plant uh, and work your way along.
0: Okay, so if you put out dolomitic lime and you go, all right, I think I should have my problem solved, how long is the problem usually solved in your area? And then we go right back to having a deficiency of magnesium again.
6: Well, it, it isn't quite we have some mathematical formulas that tell us where we should be in 24 to 36 months. But what happens oftentimes is when, as we start fixing these deficiencies, the crop yields increase and we start <laughs> right. consuming more of it than maybe we had in the past. And so oftentimes we'll find out we don't quite meet those targets that we were wishing for. So we're usually good for two years, but uh by the third year, we're going to want to take a look and and make sure that we're somewhere close to what we want to be. Um, if you're a corn grower, that difference between excess and deficiency can mean a half a a pound of nitrogen per bushel. That's quite a lot of nitrogen. So.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. So switching gears, let's talk about manganese a little bit. Do you deal with many manganese deficiencies in your area? Uh,
6: that's the one thing that, uh, we are kind of fortunate in, we have a vein of manganese, natural manganese in our in our soils that runs down through our county. Uh, and so our manganese levels are relatively good. We're, we're usually not deficient, but we're not at the excellent levels we'd like to be at either. And, and the best yields are going to need that excellent level. So we do use manganese, uh, especially our seed growers. Anyone out there that's growing a crop for seed. Manganese is what creates the energy to make the seed sprout. So make sure you're not deficient there if you need better germination.
0: So you're saying in that year's crop or you're saying in the seed? So the seed growers and what they're sending to the seed plant is of better quality than when you've got the higher manganese?
6: Uh, We would like the seed producers to be very aware uh, to not have a manganese deficiency in the year they grow seed to resell to someone next year um, because that grower next year is going to inherit those deficiencies if they're, if they're not fixed.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So how are people usually solving that problem? Are, are they broadcasting? Are they banding at planting time? Are they foliar feeding? What's, what's the most common thing?
6: Uh, we will take uh, manganese sulfate and we can have that blended as a dry uh, product with our uh, bulk product, potassium and nitrogen, phosphorus, at planting time. Uh, that's an easy way to get it and one of the cheaper ways. But I often, especially my seed growers, uh, I often will add some about flowering stage. Uh, that's when the plant consumption of manganese is quite high. Uh, I want to make sure that seed formation um, is not deficient in manganese at that time. So um, that's a good time to foliar your feed.
0: Do you use like a manganese chelate or what do you do?
6: Uh, there, are, there are a number of liquid products that we can get a hold of. Um, and just we'll work with the label. We're not too worried one way or another on the source necessarily. But um, manganese sulfate would be my preference, I guess, in that regard.
0: So you mentioned seed, but are there any certain crops where you're seeing more issues with manganese than others?
6: Um, Some are a little more sensitive than others. Uh, I think the one thing for people listening, everyone I think has seen manganese deficiency. If you've ever eaten a watermelon uh, that has seeds in it, uh, you'll note that most of the seeds are black. Uh, and look like regular watermelon seeds. But the white seeds that sometimes are there in the watermelon, those seeds are manganese deficient. Uh, So that's one visual thing you can see. Uh, But uh, manganese deficiency affects the sugar content of sugar beets. Uh, It affects the starch content of potatoes. Uh, It affects the uh, grain yields um, on most grain crops. So lots of ways that it gets, um, to be a problem and it's too deficient.
0: How about any certain excesses that might be out there causing a problem with manganese? Is there anything that really triggers it where, that you say, oh boy, if I see this, then I know I'm probably going to have trouble with manganese levels in the plant?
6: Yes, and if you're west of the Mississippi, this is going to be uh, more important to you probably. Uh, anytime on our soil test that potassium Base saturation percent plus the sodium base saturation percent. Anytime those two added together exceed 10%, you're going to tie up manganese. And manganese is very important for stock strength in corn and grains as well. So, if lodging or green snap is a problem, there's an issue. But as you go west, that high sodium level can really tie up manganese.
0: All right, we've been talking with Alan Perry. He's a consultant out in the state of Maine. Alan, this is really good stuff. Thanks a lot. We really love having you on the show. Hope to have you on again sometime soon.
6: Hey, we'll be here if you need us. Thanks.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Manganese and magnesium, two very different nutrients that often, because their names are similar, they get a little confused. So that's why we wanted to talk about these two. Important nutrients, again, magnesium is the secondary nutrient. Your crop needs a tremendous amount of that, many, many pounds. Manganese is the micronutrient. MN is the chemical formula or chemical symbol for that, I should say. And manganese is just a micronutrient, but still, you might need a pound or two for your crop, depending on the crop, and without it, you absolutely can have problems. I thought that was interesting what Alan Perry said. If you see white seeds in your watermelon... uh, That very well could be a manganese deficiency. All right, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag coming up next. What's
3: new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. Did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burn-down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall.
0: What does winter have in store? I'm Greg Sauter with 360 Yield Center. We don't know what's going to happen in three days and certainly not in three months. So there's no way of knowing what's going to happen to the nitrogen we applied this fall but by moving your application to spring with the 360 Bandits on your planter, you know your nitrogen will be there when the plant needs it. And with the split application with 360 Wide Drop, you can add just what the plant needs to finish strong. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com.
2: When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent Day. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions.
1: Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
5: Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin.
0: All right, our first question comes from Mark. He emailed in saying, Is it better to identify magnesium or manganese issues in a tissue sample or a soil sample? Well, Mark, I will always say we want to see the soil tests. That's going to help us before the season ever gets started. And hopefully then we can solve whatever problems are going to come up in advance rather than a lot of times when tissue samples get pulled is after people see, oh, my corn turned yellow or my beans or whatever crop it is. Uh, it looks like I have a problem. Now I'm going to tissue sa- t- tissue sample and see what went wrong. Well, by that point, you've already lost some yield. So we use tissue sampling on our own farm to generally speaking, fine-tune our soil fertility program. But like we were talking about on the show today, there may be some cases where, let's say you want to do some foliar feeding of manganese or something like that. If anything does start to look off in your plant, by all means, tissue test. But the reason why we like weekly tissue testing on our own farm, and I'm not saying we do this on all our acres or do many spots in each field or anything like that, but we're at least doing a little bit. So then hopefully we can catch something before it becomes a full-blown problem and we see all this yellowing or discoloration across the field. So we're still going to use tissue sampling to hopefully identify some of these things, but we really trust that soil sample first. All right. uh, Let's see. Next one is from uh, Sanjeev, who asks, what's the best fungicide for a cauliflower seed treatment? Uh, Unfortunately, I do not know the answer to that, but I will say this. As a general statement for most crops, there are so many fungicides out there now, and we really like seeing multiple modes of action used. So if it's me... I'm going to look for something that's got multiple modes of action that are effective on the diseases that I typically have. So where I would start is whatever crop it is, I don't care if it's cauliflower or anything. I'd start with trying to identify, all right, what are my main disease problems? And if you don't know, you can talk to an extension agent, somebody with the university, or just talk to some neighbors or something like that and say, all right, what diseases do you usually have? What's the problem in terms of seed and seedling issues, and then talk to an ag retailer or an agronomist and say, all right, here are the problems that we think we have, or we think we're going to have, and what would be a good fungicide package I could use that would solve all of those problems, and I'd go from there. All right. Next one is from Daniel. He says you guys should get information about uh, this German strip till construction uh, of their strip till machines because they're using them to put manure in the ground more efficiently. I want. I also want to try and use strip till this this next year for the first time to use the nutrients of the manure of cows better in the corn silage in corn silage production especially because prices for artificial fertilizers or commercial fertilizers are rising. Uh, Daniel, I agree with you that fertilizer prices are high. I will say this. We have used a brilliant zone commander in the past. We've used a number of different tools. And you could, even with a conventional strip-till machine, rig it up so you could run some liquid manure down through that. We have done that. Here's my biggest watch out for you. If you're going to now, in effect, band your manure... You've also banded your salt, and salt load can be a real problem, especially in a dry area. So on our farm, for example, when we did this and we banded right in the row the fall before, then we planted corn over the top. We did 6,000 gallons, 8,000 gallons, and 10,000 gallons of dairy manure. The highest yield was 6,000 gallons. And our belief is simply because by the time we got to 8 and 10,000 gallons, it was more salt than our crop could handle. So I just kind of keep that in mind. That's our biggest watch out for you. All right, next one here is from Matt. He says, hi, guys. Just wanted to get your advice on the attached soil samples. This is a little piece of bottom ground, fully tiled, no-till corn and beans in northeast Kansas. We have several more fields of very similar ground. Our floater is a single compartment, so we usually make two passes, variable rating the P and K, every couple of years. And then we'll do a blanket blend, including some micros. So what would you guys suggest? All right. So when I look at these soil tests, um, the the first thing I see is, and it's really important to understand what we're looking at all the time with soil tests, whether it's parts per million or pounds per acre. With his, he's got the results in pounds per acre, which I actually really like. And the average that he's got here is 139 pounds of phosphorus. So that's certainly not bad. For me, I like it a little bit higher, but pretty decent. On his base saturation potassium, 2.83% average. So not bad. I'd like it a little bit higher. But here's the big thing. With both the P and the K, there's tremendous variability. The low on phosphorus is only 56 pounds. The low on base saturation K is only 1.5%. For both of those, those are yield limiting factors. So I'm always looking at the major nutrients first, and then I'm, I'm, I'm working my way down the list. With a lot of the rest of these things, I, I mean, certainly not bad, but those are those are the top two that I'm, I'm going to start out with. But yeah, there's a lot of variability here. You got a little bit of low pH, certainly not bad. The pH isn't, I mean, pH is pretty good, mostly in the sixes. Uh, so then I really focus on that, uh, that P and the K after that. Uh, beyond that, could you add a little more boron, for example? Well, you, you got 1.8 pounds per acre. It's not a tremendous amount. Uh, with a lot of the rest of these micros, though, it's certainly not bad. Copper would be the other one, though, I would mention. You're down to three pounds of copper is all. And so if it's me, I'm probably going to bump the copper just a little bit, but I'm first going to focus on the P and the K and maybe get a little bit more sulfur out there because you've got as low as just 16 pounds uh, on a per acre basis. All right. We're going to jump back to the phone lines here. Got, uh, Got Frank calling in from Virginia. Hey, Frank, how are you today?
7: I'm well, sir. Thank you for taking my call.
0: You bet. What can we do for you?
7: Well, I'm not a farmer. I'm in the erosion control industry and we're trying to establish vegetation on roadside slopes. Sure. And our available phosphorus in our soil test is extremely low. And when I say extremely low, I mean anywhere from three parts per million to eight or nine parts per million is is all we have. Sure. Um, But the, the pH might be anywhere from low fives to upper sevens, and we're still having low phosphorus. So it kind of puzzled as to how I can improve this the phosphorus level. Our CECs are anywhere from six to 10, and our organic matter is anywhere from 1% to two and a half.
0: So where you're trying to establish this grass, I assume black dirt has been, or as black as it gets in Virginia, black dirt has been put back on those areas, right?
7: in some cases yes and some no it's subsoil material where we do not have topsoil where we can bring back in it's there's it's in areas where there's just not a lot of topsoil naturally occurring
0: yeah, one of our big challenges getting anything to grow when it's it's deeper subsoil, because I have some experience with this as well, we've been able to make stuff grow if we just skim the topsoil away and we've got just the first part of the subsoil. But sometimes when a lot of dirt's being moved, you might be a foot or two deep into that subsoil, and then there really hasn't been any organic material. There's been nothing there. there. There are no microbes growing or anything else. So, it is a real challenge. I I, I I, totally understand. And then the other issue that you've got, when you start talking about erosion, everybody worries about phosphorus moving away, and if it's right near water, you don't want to put a whole bunch of phosphorus out there and have it wash into the water. So, could the, exactly. the, could the low phosphorus be somewhat of a limiting factor for you? Yes, it could, but I, I would say... If there's any way you can get any organic material out there, uh, straw, anything else, that definitely is going to help you. And manure or compost or just anything that's got any soil life in it or any any beneficial microbes, that's probably going to help you just about as much as anything. So would I put a little bit of phosphorus out? Yes, I probably would, but just be really careful.
7: Yes, sir. We're very concerned about that. We have gone to some biological, some some liquids yep. that, the humics and phobics yep. and some sea kelps. Yes. Trying to put microbial activity, but are we? Is is our soil so? And I hate to use this term, dead, but is it so brick-like <laughs> that I don't have anything there for the liquid to even work with?
0: I'll tell you what, Frank. We're up against a break here. Hang on for me through the break, and we'll talk just a little bit more about this because I got a couple more thoughts for you. All right, stay tuned. We're gonna get back to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag as well, right after this.
2: AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
5: Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store
7: and in Google Play. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeer.com
0: slash gainground. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its cornhead should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago cornheads are engineered to harvest more.
3: Lowest profile saves ears. Self-adjusting deck plates save kernels. Longer knife
0: rollers reduce trash, and aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other cornhead works like a Drago or pays you back like one. See more features and find your Drago dealer at dragotech.com.
5: AgPhD has one mission to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AGPHd Insider at agphdinsider.com.
2: Compromise is nice if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's ReviTech fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with ReviTech fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio right before the break. We were talking with Frank from Virginia, who works on basically erosion control and is dealing with some subsoil where we're trying to seed grass. And having a real issue getting that going. And he just made the comment, hey, our phosphorus levels are really low. And Frank, yes, in a lot of cases, if it's it's especially deeper subsoil, like I was saying, shallow subsoil, sometimes we've got roots growing in there and we at least have some organic material and some soil life. But boy, that deeper subsoil, I can just tell you from firsthand experience, I've, I've run into this in the last couple of years where I, we, we did some work and I thought, oh, it'll be no problem. I'll get grass growing into that that clay. No issue at all. But, but it was so deep into the subsoil, I could not get the grass growing. We seeded multiple times, put all the fertilizer on I thought I could possibly need, every micronutrient, everything, and still it was sporadic how I got my grass growing. So that's where you mentioned biologicals, humics, fulvics. I threw out maybe a little manure or compost would be much better environmentally. So if it's me and I could find some compost, I'd probably get some compost out there. I'd I'd throw a little bit of fertilizer out there too, especially nitrogen. And You know, I I assume you're probably using like blanket or straw or something to hold this seed down in those areas, and and sometimes that can really help too. But yeah, I I wish I had some magic answer for you, but you got to do something to get some soil life out there. And I never really understood. People have talked about this for years that you can't just grow anything in soil that has had absolutely no beneficial microbes there. But boy, I really understand that now. And so I, I know what you're yeah. going through. It's hard.
7: Yeah. I, I wish I worked in soil. I work in dirt. I mean, it's just the bottom line. It's not soil. Yeah. It's dirt. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, gotcha. It's a brick. And it's just, you know, we, yes, sir, the cover crop, the cover rather, you know, we, we use a blanket or a, a very thick yep. hydro mulch or yep. straw. The 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 another issue we run into is when that material begins to decompose, it starts pulling any nitrogen that we did put down. Yep. And we'll and so we we we, we then we have to come back and apply more fertilizer. Right. I mean, we're limited by law how much nitrogen we can put down in any one application without a soil test. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's I, I wish it just what we have is what we have. <laughs> you know, and, but. Yeah. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. It, it's getting compost is something we're starting to work with a little bit. Uh, it's less expensive and more readily available for us and, and easy to blow in using a blower truck. And so that seems to work a little bit better for us. than it-
0: and, and environment Yeah, and environmentally it's pretty good too. If you compare compost to manure, there's no comparison. So people aren't gonna give right. you a hard time with compost, but boy, if you throw manure out there and you could accomplish the same thing, but people are gonna lose their minds right. if you're using manure. So if you can get compost, oh, great. Yeah. Now now here's the other yeah. thing. You mentioned that the ground's really hard, so sometimes yeah, sure. what we'll use is calcium sulfate or gypsum to soften that ground up a little bit. So I don't know what the composition of a lot of your soil is and how much calcium you already have, but we do find that those hard soils, you throw a little bit of gypsum out there, and that definitely helps. So you've got calcium and you've got sulfur again, two important nutrients that your your grass is really? going to need. So that's just another thing that i would consider so yeah it's gypsum it's compost especially nitrogen but you know any blend that you've got that might get a little bit of p and k and some micros and things like that so yeah i like i say i feel for you it's not easy and the other side of this is i'm sure people are giving you a hard time like well it's easy to grow grass you guys should have grass growing immediately and (laughs) stop this erosion right (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Yes, sir it's um well, it's not a lawn, and and we're
7: and it's not lawns. It's a anywhere from a fifteen percent to a fifty percent slope. Yep. And where I don't wa- I don't water it, I'm not mowing it, I'm not manicuring it. Um. So yeah, they everybody unfortunately is under the misunderstanding that you just throw a little seed out and step yep. back and watch it turn green, but just you know, it, it, I think I failed to mention that we do put out as a general rule of 15-30-15 fertilizer okay but i'm assuming that that phosphorus gets tied up very quickly with the iron and the, maybe some even some of the aluminum that we have present, is that yeah sound it's,
0: accurate or, well? It's possible. Okay. It, it's possible. It depends yeah. on it. It depends on the soil pH and what else is going on in that soil. I don't know that I would worry so much about that. Um, I I, okay. I think you're you're doing probably okay on the phosphorus. I don't think your phosphorus is what's holding you back from getting that grass growing. Just from everything that you've mentioned to me, I I think more than anything, okay. it's just the 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 microbes in the soil. And if you got some compost out there i think that would really help and then you already brought up the nitrogen thing that you have to get more out there that does become a a real big issue for getting grass once it gets germinated for getting that grass to really take off having an adequate amount of nitrogen there and i don't know what to tell you other than doing a second shot because you definitely don't want to lose that and you definitely don't want to be putting out like enormously huge amounts like we can on flat fields or anything like that right so I, I guess those are just my best suggestions. And just from my own experience, what I've gone through now here over the last couple of years in working with the same type of thing you are. Uh, yeah, it's a challenge, but I think organic matter and uh, and getting some more compost out or some compost out there would probably help you more than anything.
7: I appreciate it. And, and again, I'm not a farmer, but I really enjoy listening to your show. I try to take agronomic principles and apply them as best we can on the roadside development so it the message is getting across you know farmer or not farmer it's getting across so thank you again for taking my call and i appreciate your
3: all your time
0: you bet thanks a lot frank and good luck and hey if you do find anything that works fantastically well call us back sometime and let us know because there are a lot of other people listening who have the same type of situation and they want to know as well
7: yes sir all right thank you
0: again you bet thanks frank good day All right, let's jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag here. Uh, This one is from Amy, and she's writing about the Neil Kinsey seminar. She said, my husband and I are interested in this event, but we have a few questions. Do you have a more detailed itinerary in terms of what's going to be covered in the times? All right, so Amy, we do have information on our Ag PhD website now. We're still working with Neil on exactly what he wants to cover during which time usually neil kind of has that laid out Uh, it's just a little bit early for that right now but i I, in terms of the exact thing he's going to cover in each hour of this but roughly off the top of my head i'm going to say it's going to start probably around 10 o'clock the first day and finish around three o'clock the last day i'd also say that if you're if you want to learn more about soils we do have a free Ag PhD soils clinic we're going to be doing in January. So that'll be a two day event. Neil Kinsey's is a paid workshop that's toward the end of February. And it's really, really good. Uh, but, uh, but it's a three day event. Anyway, um, she also says in here, if we chose to do the virtual option, can we listen at our own convenience or is it only offered as a live event? Yes, you can listen at your own convenience. It'll be offered for roughly a month after the live event. Um, Oh, and then she says, two years ago, we started collecting our own soil samples and creating variable rate prescriptions for our farms, but there's still a lot we don't know. So I think this would be benef- beneficial for us. Amy, uh, we're all learning more about soil fertility all the time, I think. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, soil testing and, and soil fertility, super important. All right. Last one that I got here. This is from Hugh. Just a comment. He says, uh, hi, guys. Listen to your show. Uh, My gut, very unscientific, no data, is that about 50 to 90 percent of people would die without chemical fertilizers being available. After all, much of these organic fertilizers are a byproduct of regular farming. Cotton seed meal, bone meal, manures, etc. If chemical fertilizer were outlawed on cotton, chicken feed, cattle feed, etc., then the cycle would be broken and we'd be looking for bat guano, seaweed, limestone, gypsum, etc. My point is that we rely on chemistry for our food. I believe 99% of the public has no idea how food crops remove nutrients from the soil that must be replaced with every crop. For you folks that prep by storing extra food, I suggest you also get a few hundred or thousand pounds of NPK and some other elements, calcium, magnesium, zinc, copper, boron, etc., your garden will need over the next few years. I see pepper storing seed, but never mentioned fertilizer. By the sixth grade, every child ought to know about growing and how food crops pull nutrients from the soil, and boom, those nutrients go on to trucks and are gone forever. Okay, that's my rant. All right, Hugh, thanks a lot. Yes, there there's a lot to it. The, the, agriculture is complicated, and a lot of people hear chemical and... Uh, and fertilizer and oh these things are bad but there are a lot of the chemicals that are used today that are just natural products and a lot of fertilizers too are natural products we mine it out of the ground and then put it over other acres and if we don't replace nutrients yeah we're gonna we're gonna have production going down rather than going up and we need more food for our growing world right, before we go, just want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She produced the show for us again today, and thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.